with so many podcasts out there, shows can get lost in the shuffle. That's why we implore you to check out Too Many Captains. You can find us at a moviepodcast.com. Five unique takes on Hollywood movies and culture. Find us on Twitter at It's a Film Podcast. Check our intellectual deep dives into theatrical films. Find us on Instagram at Too Many Captains Productions. Unique takes on soundtracks. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Too Many Captains Productions. Find us at a moviepodcast.com on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. And now, here comes a new episode of Collateral Cinema. Tonight on the Director's Cut, we are celebrating Robert Ortegon's birthday no, by not. checking out... What? 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 Oh, yeah, we're checking out Tales from the Crypt Season 1 and also the sequel to Demon Knight, Bordello of Blood. So stick around. The show starts right now, and don't pay attention to Robert. Okay. <laughs> because it's my birthday, I don't pay attention. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to Collateral Cinema Director's Cut. I'm Bo Maddox. I'm Robert Oregon. And I'm Ashley Chancellor. And we are podcasting straight from somewhere in South Texas. And yes, my friends, we are a 420-friendly podcast. So whatever you have, smoke it if you got it. And we are back for a very special episode of the Director's Cut. It's been a while since we've done one of these. Right, guys? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's Bo's fault for that. You know? It's my fault? Really? You'd have to leave some comments about that. Yeah, oh, let's just no. Blame it on Bo. Uh, really? Yeah. 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 Wow. I mean, you know, already this podcast is giving me sass. What the fuck? It's unanimous. <laughs> I, I already hate this. I hate this episode already. But yeah, anyway, happy birthday, Robert. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody, it's Robert Ortegon's birthday. Ashley, say something. Say something, Ash. Happy wow. birthday, bro. Happy awesome. birthday. Appreciate what, what, it. What are you, what are you, 26 now? Yeah, I'm a whole 26. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm like already 21, so. Forever you know. 21, yeah. Forever I, 21. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, totally, totally. 32. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what? man. What? Damn, he totally did that. 25. Damn. I'm the same age as Ash. <laughs> same age as Ash. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Same year. Well, yeah, guys, we are celebrating Robert's birthday by checking out a perennial favorite of ours, the Tales from the Crypt universe. Uh, it came out on HBO way back in the late 80s, early 90s, and it was put together by some really influential directors and writers like uh, Frank Darabont was involved in it. So it was Robert Zemeckis, Zemeckis uh, yeah. Walter Hill. He did, of course, The Warriors and whatnot. Uh, Joel Silver, and it really is like the first actual bit of original programming that HBO actually put out. I mean, I, I guess you can kind of argue that without this particular series, there's a lot that you wouldn't have here. You wouldn't have like Game of Thrones. You wouldn't have 
Like what? What else came out on HBO? Um, Masters of Horror. Masters of Horror, man. You wouldn't have had. To, didn't the Watchmen series come out on HBO? Yeah, I think yeah. So. You wouldn't have had that. I mean, that was pretty critically acclaimed. The Tudors. The Tudors. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. There's a lot of really iconic programming that would not have really been a thing had it not been for Tales from the Crypt. And what was great about Tales from the Crypt is that not only did it get some really excellent talent behind the camera, uh, but it also had some excellent uh, actors doing guest spots. Yeah. I mean, you have a lot of people here. Like, I mean, there's an early uh, performance by Brad Pitt. I mean, there's... Uh, Isabella Rossellini, John Lithgow, Schwarzenegger, Schwarzenegger Tom, Tom is involved. Hanks. Yeah, Tom, Tom Hanks was involved. Yeah, and the list goes on and on. And h- how many seasons were there, Robert? I'm not really sure, but you know, it, as it goes into like seven. se- seventh or eight seasons. Yeah, there's dude, seven seasons. They start getting all British, and uh, I have some of those too. I don't know. They really, kind, it, they it gets of, British. How, how yeah, so? They kind of just trail off, you know, with with the actors. Oh, okay. And the stories and uh. You kind of lose it. it. It goes from like an American version to a British version, you know? Really? That's, that's yeah, weird. Real quick. Huh. And one of the most iconic characters from Tales from the Crypt, of course, is the Crypt Keeper. Now, <laughs> yeah, the Crypt Keeper is actually kind of a wonder of special effects technology at the time. And you can you believe that they tried not once but twice to revive this series without the Crypt Keeper? Why would they do that? Like, that's, it's not even Tales from the Crypt. It's just it's something else. No, the, the campiness and the all the puns and everything that the Crypt Keeper provides, that is so quintessential to the series that it's just unthinkable to remove that. And yeah. I will I will say this, this is probably the only kind of actual humor where puns are acceptable is when the Crypt Keeper <laughs> does it. Because the Crypt Keeper knows what the fuck he's doing. I think it was licensing issues too. I think the Crypt Keeper character is, is owned by different parties or you know, or whatnot. But um I think because HBO produced this series, Tales from the Crypt. You know, that I guess that, that was what allowed them the freedom to just kind of uh, to, to make an R-rated t- television show, you know, full nudity, gore, everything. Yeah. And the gore factor, it didn't really play that much into every episode. But I mean, there was some of them that could get kind of dark. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. But yeah, but. It- we're going to go ahead and talk about season one. We're going to go ahead and start at the beginning. And it was only six episodes, right? Yeah. Yes, it was. Yeah. Uh, Robert, when was the first time you actually saw this movie? Or uh, the actual series on HBO? Um, yeah, just like you did, you know, HBO late at night. Yeah. Damn. And... It starts out with an episode called The Man Who Was Death. Yep. Let me uh, go over the little synopsis here. Niles Talbot, Niles Talbot, excuse me, everybody, played by William Sadler, a prison executioner. Let me do that again. Niles Talbot, played by William Sadler, a prison executioner, is when is laid off from his job when the local legislature abolishes the death penalty. From there, he becomes a vigilante, administering his own style of justice to acquitted murder suspects. Also starring Garrett Graham and Roy Brocksmith. That is straight from Wikipedia. Now, I really think that this is 
kind of what you would call an average Tales from the Crypt episode. Yeah, but it really establishes the the sense of irony that would be present in every episode after, you know? Yeah, irony is a huge part of what makes Tales from the Crypt what it is. It's a core motif. It, yeah, it's it's like the main motif. I, I think it was that way in the comic books, and it was that way in the series. And here you start off with, like I said, a prison executioner. He's He really takes a lot of pleasure from his job, maybe yeah. a little too much. Yeah. And he's pretty good at what he does, you know? I mean, he's very experienced, and he... And eventually, the death penalty in his state is abolished, so he's out of a job. So he finds himself just kind of, you know, wandering through life for a little bit until he decides that he's going to start killing people who have been acquitted, in his opinion, unjustly, of violent crimes. Yeah, and and what's crazy is he electrocutes them. You know, it's kind of like the shocker, right? Yeah, it's like the yeah. shocker. He's like, he's, <laughs> a, he's in a... Isn't that right? He's like a shocker, and he uh, yeah, and he uh, has some interesting kills. I mean, nothing that's really too memorable, uh, other than the fact that he tries to actually kill a stripper while she's in her go-go cage, yeah. which is just such a artifact of a different time, you know? Totally. I mean, I don't think that you're going to find a lot of movies with women in cages anymore. That's very 90s, I think. Extremely. Ma maybe up to mid-2000s, you might see that. But, I mean, William Sadler, I think that he's pretty okay here, but the whole narrative thing, I think, throws me off a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what it is. I feel like it's kind of, you know, telling, not showing more than anything. Yeah, but that's true. There is a lot of uh, narration and exposition. Yeah, but it also kind of helps build his character arc a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and it's it's common for a pilot of a series to not quite have gotten its its footing yet yeah. and really establish what it is. There yeah. Uh, but th this pilot actually does feel very Tales from the Crypt. Um, maybe not particularly as strong as other episodes, but it is very much uh, a part of the show that it that it started off. <laughs> Certainly. I mean, it is average, but it still hits all the same notes as every other Tales from the Crypt. And, and it just establishes the tone of the series. I mean, the Crypt Keeper is not nearly as animated as he used to be. Like I said, he is a feat of uh, special effects engineering, which, Robert, we're going to go ahead and get into a little bit. What do you think about the special effects on the Crypt Keeper and also in this episode? Oh, pretty damn amazing, dude. Yeah. Kind of like Charles Play Doll. Right? I mean, and, and there's like at least six or seven people who are responsible for bringing this character to life. Yeah. Like, I mean, you would have to think All. that... You, animatronic yeah it's, it's yeah. animatronic you would have to think that there's like specific people just to control the movement of the head and the jaw and the eyes and everything eyes, the mouth mouth the, the, feet, the, the, hands. the hands yeah dude it's like six or seven people operating like toggle switches and you can thank ken yeager for the design of the crypt keeper and ken yeager he had a very storied career in film in genre works and i think the crypt keeper actually looks quite a bit different than he uh, does in the original comics. Yeah, they, they, they definitely kind of uh, 
did a little bit of more of an adaptation of the character, you know, that would play a little better on on the television screen, and ultimately became more memorable, you know. Definitely, <laughs> and of course, you got to give credit to John Cassier for providing the voice and the characterization. I mean, early on, I mean, you can definitely tell what he's going for. It's total camp. Yeah, yeah. But back to the story. I mean, I think the story of this is, like I said, it's average. It's just kind of eh. It's very basic serial killer. Yeah, kind of a Dexter thing in a way. Sure, yeah. Right. Dealing his own justice. And the irony being, of course, that when he gets caught, suddenly the death penalty abolishment has been rescinded. And so he actually dies by the electric chair. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Flip it around on his ass. Exactly. All right. What would you all give uh, a rating for this uh, episode? Just one out of five. Uh. I'll give it a four since it's the pilot. I mean, it is good and cryptic. Yeah. Yeah. And like we said, it did kind of set the tone uh, for the series rather yeah. well. It set the tone for the actual Demon Knight movie, too. I mean, it's William Sadler. Yeah, William Sadler. Yeah. He plays the main protagonist in that movie yeah. uh, next to Billy Zane. Who, Billy I mean, Zane. Oh, my, oh, my God, Billy Zane. Billy Zane, dude. Fucking A. And how about you, Rash? Uh, three out of five. Three out of five. Yeah, that sounds fair enough. You know, it's it, and I would probably put it about three out of five as well. It's not not the worst episode, not the greatest episode. It's the greatest episode. Oh yeah, next episode is actually my favorite here and all through the house. This is the Christmas episode, Ooh. and this is pretty much just a basic slasher movie. It, 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 it start, really is. Yeah, it starts off as a real American Gothic style, uh, like uh, murder that happens. Silent Night, Deadly Night. Silent Night, Deadly Night style. But then it turns into a psycho killer dressed as Santa uh, stalking a mom and her daughter. Yeah. It's, it, it's pretty pretty straightforward. Yeah, and, and, and it's weird how, you know, the, the, the woman, you know, is trying to cover up the murder of her husband, and then there's an actual serial killer, you know. So immediately I remember watching this, and I'm thinking <laughs> in my head, just, just, just pin it on the serial killer, you know what I mean? Just, oh. just, just that's what... Do it, lady. And that's exactly what she does, she right? She does end up doing it, yeah. Yeah. But and, and that brings up another part of Tales from the Crypt that is another kind of calling card is the fact that there, there are very rarely actual heroes in any of these stories. Right. Like, even the protagonists are kind of, you know, amoral in many ways. In most, more cases than not, the main protagonists are the ones that end up experiencing the irony, right? Yeah, yeah most of the time. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, it's a very familiar story beat throughout the series, and I feel like this is the episode that establishes that for the uh, for the series. You know? It, it establishes kind of that framework for each of these episodes. Yeah. But, I mean, as a Santa slasher episode, it's actually a lot of fun. Right, Robert? Oh, yeah. It's a damn classic episode here. Yeah. What's your favorite part of the episode so far? Um, uh, I don't know. It reminds me so much of Saturday Night, Daily Night. Leisure Suit Larry. Larry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't but, know. I don't know. This, I don't know. Just the whole episode is freaking cool. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's very watchable. I, I wouldn't really say I have one favorite part. I mean, the whole episode is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the whole episode is is pretty great. I mean, I I really like the personality of the Santa killer. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, he's just really grimy and disgusting and just covered in blood. And he is just got pure murder in his eyes. And it's just so perfect. I love it. I mean, he he's comparable to a lot of other slasher killers. I mean, that's a very common horror trope, you know. And that's another thing about Tales from the Crypt is extremely tropey. You know, yeah. very tropey uh, storytelling and writing and whatnot. <laughs> But um Ash, what's your favorite part of this episode? Um, I think I wanna say I, I think it's how like the killer just keeps coming back inexplicably, just like in a in a slasher film. Like I'm thinking like uh Slumber Party Massacre, like, like that dude just does yeah. not die. Yeah, he just <laughs> keeps yeah. coming and coming. The and third one, right? That's like a psychomaniac. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just a straight psychomaniac. I mean, but honestly, I don't really think that there's really much more to say about this episode. I mean, Robert, uh, special effects, I mean, are they pretty good in this? I mean, I, I think that the kills were... There was only maybe one kill here, to to be fair. To be fair, yeah, and that was the husband in the beginning of the episode. Yeah, he got involved with a... Uh, uh, that poker. Poker, an iron, uh, fireplace poker. And then again with the axe. Yeah, yeah, again with the axe, and that was uh, by his both by his wife. Yeah, you know, yep. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty much it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, nothing too hardcore there, and and I guess that's what's good about this episode that it makes it a kind of a simple episode to get through. But there is a dark twist at the end, so you know it, that that's really where it, it kind of um, makes up for it in 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 the extremities department. You know, is that. You know the ironic twist at the end of this one is that she is is, is going to get murdered. You know, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's because of uh, her daughter, daughter wanting Santa to come in. I mean, it is Christmas Eve. This is on Christmas Eve. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and that's what it also works there. Kind of like a horror doesn't wait till sim simple Tuesday type of trope. You know, so it, it works on that level. I mean, there's a couple of horror movies that I have that fall on Christmas Eve. I have uh, El Interior, which was, uh, we were going to do this next coming season, but I thought it would be a little too heavy. And, and, and you know what? At least the, at least the Crypt Keeper makes it clear that the, the daughter makes it out alive. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> he makes it clear. So it's not too, too dark, but yeah, it's like kind of like a, a get what's coming to you kind of thing because, yeah. uh, I mean, she killed her husband out of greed, you know? Just purely out of greed. It was out of greed, yeah. She had a boyfriend and everything that they were going to just run off. It's like, yeah, good job, lady. She, she had her own mark. Yeah. She had her own mark, exactly. I'm, I'm busy, babe. I'm busy, babe. <laughs> you know, dude, she, yeah, she literally got his fucking uh, answering machine. <laughs> so he was busy. He was busy, babe. All right. What, what's your what's y'all's rating on this one? Uh... Because it scared the shit out of me back then, maybe a, oh, because it was one of the scariest back then, and for uh, season one, uh, I give it a four again. Four again. Four again. That's fair enough. Yeah. How about you, Ash? Uh, this is a four point five out of five for me. Yeah, 4, 4. definitely. It, it's very entertaining. I mean, no matter what. I mean, like like I said, there's average uh, Tales from the Crypt episodes. There's phenomenal Tales from the Crypt episodes. And then, I mean, there's episodes like this, which are just, you know, really, really classic. I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and just give it a... F give I'll just give it a, give it a five. Give it a five. I don't know if I would give it a five, really. Maybe... Let's give it a 
<laughs> right, there we go. I'll give it a 4.8. Nice. Yeah, that, that's how I'll get around that. It's it's definitely the best out of this season, in my opinion, and, and the most fun to watch. Yeah. And another really fun to watch episode, this one was uh, directed by Richard Donner himself, is Dig That Cat. He's real gone. <laughs> a, a carnival dare... dare a carnival daredevil known as Ulrich the Undying, played by Joe Pantoliano, is buried alive for his grand finale. Through a series of flashbacks, he tells the viewers how he was formerly a homeless vagrant who had undergone a doctor's experiment in order to transfer the cat's gland into his brain, giving him its nine lives and the ability to temporarily resurrect a number of times. However, during his final stunt, he suddenly remembers that he might have miscounted just how many lives he has left. Also starring Robert Wool of Arliss fame. Uh, this was a very funny episode to me. This is probably the first really uh, comedic episode, and that's another excellent tone that you see throughout the series is its humor. And this is probably the most humorous uh, episode so far, right? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Robert, what did you think about uh, some of the humor in this? I mean... Just the idea of somebody having a cat's, like, I don't even know what gland it is. It just says a cat's gland to give it nine lives. I mean, I don't know. There's, there's some humor in that, right? I don't know, man. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was definitely one of the, uh, the first episodes I've ever seen on HBO was this one. Really? This was, like, one of the first? Yeah. Wow. I remember seeing it. Yeah. And Joe Pantoliano, I mean, he's really great as the main character here, Ulrich the Undying. Yeah. I mean, he's he's really acerbic, he's witty, and he's he's very on the nose with a lot of things here. Right. And we and we do get to see his character die multiple times here and each death is a little more creative than the last. Like I mean, there's a an electrocution scene like his first scene, he drowns. He, he drowns. Drown. Yeah, he drowns, and then he resurrects. And then there's a scene where he's uh, pretty much a moving target, and there's like a ginormous crossbow, and somebody shoots him right through the heart. Right through the fucking heart. And then he kills his uh, mentor, who was the doctor that gave him the operation. He wastes a life to kill him in a car accident. And then finally, like I said, he is buried alive, full six feet under and everything. Yeah. And, and then he suddenly realizes that the cat had already died once. Which Therefore, is, he didn't have eight lives left. This was his last life. Or he didn't have one life left. This was his last life. Yeah. Which the, doctor, any, uh, the doctor shot him, too. Which any uh, eagle-eyed viewers of this episode... You would have probably figured that out the first moment whenever the surgery actually happened when you saw the dead cat. Yeah, I, I thought mean, about it. Honestly, that should have been like a very early indicator. Yeah, it took the cat's life to give him like all eight lives, you know, instead of nine. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's an excellent ironic twist, I think, you know. Pretty crazy. Yeah, and, and it's kind of, there's a little bit of a, you know, foreshadowing there with that uh, dead cat and everything. Yeah. What do y'all think about his girlfriend? Oh, the, that gold digging chick? Yeah, uh, the, 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 yeah. the gold digging Just girl? Killed, oh, she killed him too and took his money. She yeah, killed him and took right. one of his lives. Yeah, took one of his lives, straight killed him and just bailed with his money. Yep. 
It's like, I mean, that's pretty much why he had to do this grand finale was because she just totally jacked him. Yeah. yeah. And she's one of those quintessential blonde bimbo characters that you saw a lot in the 90s, you know? I mean, I I don't really care for those types of, of uh, character uh, arcs or whatever, or, like, portrayals. Archetypes. Archetypes, even. I, I mean, it's, it's demeaning and annoying, and she's not really cute for it. She's not any cuter for it, honestly. Yeah, but it, it's kind of a product of its time kind of thing. Like, it, it definitely feels like something that... Uh, would have been produced in that time in just that aspect. Yeah. Or, or maybe that's how women acted because they thought they had to, you know? I don't know. Something like <laughs> something that. Something like that, right? Yeah. Now, Robert Wall, he was the ringmaster here. I think that he's probably the best uh, character in this entire uh, episode, really. I mean, he actually kind of gives a performance which is really, really hammy, like very aware of what he's in. But also, you know, it's his his comedic timing is spot on. So I mean, I I really liked that as well. Joe Pantaleone. Yeah, and I mean, all the, of course, like we said, all the death scenes are very well staged, and you know, they even have a little bit of a drama to them, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And this is an episode where the narration, I think, actually kind of fits in oh, the story. Yeah. He's telling the whole story from inside the coffin. From, yeah, it's it's actually yeah. a good framing device in, instead of yeah. with the first episode. Freaking crazy. You know, which I, I felt that the narration kind of took away from that. But here it actually adds a lot to the episode. Now, uh, what ratings are we going to give this episode, Robert? Okay, because this is one of the first childhood traumas. Um, crap. <laughs> God damn it, Robert. Another, another four. Another four? Another okay. Four. All right. I guess that's fair enough, Another Robert. four, bro. Another four. I don't know. Four out of five <laughs> for me, too. Four out of five? I'm going to go ahead and just kind of go back a little bit and give this uh, maybe a 3.5. 3.5? It's like, I, I think it's, it's a lot more interesting than than uh, the pilot episode, but only just so much so. It's it's entertaining, yeah. and Joe gotcha. Pantoliano is great, and so is Robert Wall. Yeah. But, I mean, eventually it does kind of lose a little bit of steam for me. So, yeah, 3.5 out of 5. Now, the next episode, directed by Howard Deutsch, is Only Sin Deep. And this is... Uh, I think that this is a very even... Deep, deeper average movie than the first movie. Hold on, let me say that again. I kind of feel like this is even more average than the first episode, right? Yeah, I definitely uh, agree with that one. This this, this isn't one of my favorites from this season. Yeah. The uh, the synopsis is Sylvia Vane, played by uh, Leah Thompson, a young narcissistic prostitute, sells her beauty to a voodoo-dabbling pawnbroker, played by Britt Leach, so that he can use the money to snag a rich. So she can use the money to snag a rich bachelor, played by played by Brett Cullen. But she soon regrets when her face begins to unexpectedly age at an accelerated rate. Dude, she's a McFly, dude. She's a McFly. That's a McFly, bro. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, like I said, this one is really just eh to me. It's very, very eh. Like, I, I don't like Leah Thompson's character. She's 
like they said, I mean, narcissistic is definitely a description here. I mean, I, I just can't get behind her in any way. I mean, even though, like I said earlier, there are no real heroes in these particular episodes, there are at least likable characters, you know? Yeah, and, and there's another episode in season two that features, you know, like a, like a gold-digging woman, and that one, I think, was a little bit better than this one because there was, you know, a bit of a murder twist to it. Yeah. But this one is just kind of... I, I mean, it does have that Tales from the Crypt... Uh, camp style you know just kind of like like, like a children's story horror which it, which is kind of how the series is framed right i mean a even though it, it's definitely target audience wasn't children i don't think no not at all but it's still uh the crypt keeper still frames the stories that way like hello kitties you know and yeah <laughs> but like i said i just can't get behind the character and therefore that's why the story just falls flat to me it's like Okay, you sell your your beauty. It's like kind of a devil's, like a monkey's paw type of scenario. Ten thousand bucks. Yeah, that's all it took. Ten thousand dollars. Ten thousand dollars. That's all it took for her to sell her beauty to this guy. So something even that abstract. It's like how do you even sell beauty? You know. But I mean, when when her, it obviously just turns around on her and she gets fucked over and she starts looking a lot older than she actually is. I mean, I just can't feel anything for that. I, I do like how it's foreshadowed early on when you see the old woman walk into the store and, and her face is covered by a veil and she's like, you know, you, you lied to me, blah, 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 blah. I, I do like that aspect of it. Yeah. I thought that that was done pretty well. Yeah. Because when it, when it, when it comes up, it doesn't feel like something that's going to be too important later on. It's just like, this is kind of odd. It makes you think. Yeah, you don't see it later. Yeah. Till later. Damn. Now, Robert, something I found out about this episode, the director, Howard Deutsch. Deutsch. Uh, it, which, by the way, this also was written by Fred Decker of uh, Night of the Creeps fame. Ooh. So, but the, uh, the director was actually Leah Thompson's husband at the time. So there, we all saw that there was a couple of sex scenes in this uh, episode. So that's that probably kind of contributed to why this episode didn't really work. Maybe it's because there was just that awkwardness between them. Maybe that was like the I think it was the first time that he ever worked with his wife. So yeah. that could kind of contribute to why this episode is kind of meh. It felt like a little bit of risky business in the beginning. A little bit, yeah, kind I don't of. Know. Where she was stripping, yeah. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying. But maybe he just wanted to see his wife. So. But also the the special effects weren't that good either. Like I mean, the only aging you see is in her face, and it's just not really done that well. It's in that's kind of uncharacteristic for this series a little bit. So, I mean, with that said, I mean, what ratings are y'all gonna give this, Robert? I give it a three. Three, yeah, three is definitely kind of fair. How about you, Ash? Uh, yeah, this is this is gonna be a three for me as well out of five. Yeah. I don't know. This is going to be a very abysmal three, three point zero. This is just, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I guess it, it works within the context of the series, but then it's just kind of eh. The next episode is directed by Tom Holland. What? Written Whoa. by Michael McDowell. Spider-Verse? Holy shit. Sp Spider-Verse. <laughs> yeah. Michael McDowell? You fucking nerds. How the fuck? <laughs> it's called Lover Did he go back in time? I don't fucking know, dude. <laughs> Tom Holland. He wasn't even born yet, dude. <laughs> oh, my God, guys. Tom 
This this episode is called Lover Come Hack to Me. Peggy and Charles, Amanda Plummer and Steven Shellen, are a newlywed couple who, after a car accident, end up settling for the night inside a decrepit mansion belonging to Peggy's aunt. While inside, Charles plans to kill Peggy for her inheritance, but he soon learns that Peggy's family has a dark past and that Peggy herself is not who she seems to be. Mm. Hint. She's called Peggy for a reason. All oh, right. yeah, she is called Peggy, definitely. <laughs> I think that this is actually a little bit of an underrated episode, to tell the truth. It's a ghost episode. Yeah, it's, it's an episode that has a little more of a supernatural element to it. Because we have this scene where uh, this uh, this guy who, like I said, he just got married. And he's going to kill this chick for... Uh, her inheritance. Which isn't even revealed till, you know, midway through the episode either. Yeah, it actually has an interesting first half. It's actually kind of compelling. I mean, Amanda Plummer, she plays this kind of waifish, you know, kind of inexperienced woman. Yeah. More or less. Inexperienced at love, I guess you could say. Yeah, and then it starts to get odd, right? Because then you see Amanda Plummer playing Peggy, a different Peggy, and it's not what it what it seems. It's almost like the house is like telling this guy, "Run, dude, run! This is what happened." And her mom straight up killed their her uh, husband and her father on the first night in that house. Right? In that house, after declaring like. You you just put a baby in me. Oh god. Yep. Oh, it is it, yeah, and her performance, Amanda Plummer, it's subtle at first and then just batshit insane afterwards. Yeah. I mean, I actually think that she gives one of the better performances in this entire season. Yeah, for her to f- completely like flip the script like that, but then all the time there are elements of her, you know, of that underneath of the character portrayed. It's just it's not in your face. You're kind of like, this is something kind of odd about this girl, right? Yeah, there's something off, and that's kind of part of Amanda Plummer's performance. I mean, yeah, she she's really giving it her all in order to make you think that you know she's innocent and that you know she's unassuming. Oh yeah. Uh, Robert, what did you think about the actual gore effects in this episode? Like, I mean, we do see an axe used quite a bit. Yeah, you don't you don't see the blood until the axe comes off the wall, right? Yeah, yeah. and and the first time is when uh, you see the uh, the recreation, the like what the house is trying to show him. Is it? Isn't yeah. this the one that has the Tommy double in it? It does, doesn't it? It has Tommy fucking Wiseau. It has Tommy. Oh yeah. It's like, oh it's Tommy. Tommy. It's double. like he had he showed ass to sell movies. Dude, that was damn room <laughs> sex in the bed right there. Dude. It practically was. <laughs> it was Tommy Wiseau sex all the way. I mean, I, I guess there's a lot of that in Tales from the Crypt, but here it's actually pretty obvious for, for room fans. So Yeah. I mean Titanic. The Titanic. Needs to look like James Cameron. Check, check. Oh, what happened? God damn it. Did we freeze? No, we're good. No, yeah. We're, we're good. good. We're, we're good. good. We're good again. Okay. Uh, what do you? What ratings do y'all give this? Uh, I don't know. This one's a little creeped out. Oh, yeah? 4.5 4. out of 5 for me. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the better ones. It built a lot of suspense. I mean, once you got to the, the climax, yeah, it scared the shit out of you, I guess. Yeah. 
And the acting is actually really good throughout the episode. Yeah. And then it really kind of propels it to the front of the season. And the twist is cool. Yeah, it's a cool twist. And it it's is. actually kind of smart. I mean, at first you don't know what you're actually seeing, but then... When it becomes obvious, it's like, oh shit! It, it, that was for, serious foreshadowing. It's like that was even a warning. Yeah. You know? Oh man. Yeah. I think the house alone, just watching it, was a warning. Yeah. yeah. It's it's written well. It's directed well. Yeah. I'm gonna give it a five out of five. Ooh. One hundred percent. This is like the best episode out of this entire season. I'll give it a five too. Yeah. yeah th- this is the best. Honestly, if there's one episode from season five that you should watch first, it's this one. Now we're going to go on to the final episode real quick. It's number six, Collection Completed. <laughs> it's directed by Mary Lambert. And an uptight elderly man named Jonas, M. Emmett Walsh, is forced into retirement and soon discovers his wife, Anita's, Audra Lindley, obsession with adopting animals into their home, leading him to use the animals for a hobby of his own. I mean, this is a very... Another really comedic episode. Here. It is, but there are a lot of elements of mental health in this one. It's a takeoff of yeah, Norman it Bates. Is. Dude, it's a damn takeoff of Bates Motel, Norman Bates. Yeah, there, <laughs> there's definitely a lot of underlying mental health issues going on here. I mean, this is a dude that's spent 40 years working for a company, just been ushered into retirement. I don't think he wanted to retire. Nah. And this poor woman who stayed with him for 40 years, well, you know, he kind of just generally wasn't there. And when he was there, he seems like he was sort of an asshole. Uh, you know, she just was getting, well, she was just lonely. And she, it throws her into like this state of mental instability where, you know, she's just adopting all these animals. And, you know, you can tell that she's not, you know, satisfied with life and, and she's looking for something, you know, that she's not getting from her husband. And and that's even portrayed, you know, along with his own kind of paranoia. Yeah. She starts to to, you know, like feed the, the dog's steak and, huh. you know, he just gets at, at what cereal. Point, at what point he even gets uh, a tuna fish sandwich that's actually cat food. Yeah. And so that drives him up the wall, and he begins uh, taking up a hobby involving his wife's animals, and that's taxidermy. And that, as you can probably uh, imagine, it does not go into particularly great places. How do you feel about <laughs> this episode, Bo? How, how, how does the resident vegan... Vegan, think about what, what? What do you think about this? It's definitely a strike against animal cruelty. I mean, it, this this dude. I mean, taxidermy was always something that was really, really creepy to me. It is creepy. There's, you you guys know that one Criminal Minds episode where yeah, he like, yeah, he taxidermies animals and he, they're actually like he, real human eyeballs. Mm. Yeah, that's <laughs> creepy shit, man. Shit. There's a taxidermy thing right by the meat market right? yeah there is actually that's a part of that meat market so you get your meat and then you get your shit taxidermies i hate going into that Dude. that gas station because yeah. of that yeah oh and, my god as someone who isn't uh a vegan or or you know i still see that as just completely unnecessary you know that whole business i like why you're just gonna, like show off dead an- dead animals as trophies like that's fucking yeah but no. in in this episode it is played for comedic effect and for creep factor. And it is pretty funny whenever he actually begins to show his uh, wife his collection. 
Yeah, and, and, and they're like animatronic and shit, right? <laughs> yeah, he makes an animatronic dog. <laughs> Dude, his little bulldog. Oh, my God. What the what the actual fuck? To, to, his, to his eyes, he made him blink, dude. Made, blink, made the blinking eyes, like, what the hell? It's like, how? what was this guy doing for 40 years? You're like, what the actual fuck? Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, <laughs> this is a real what the fuck kind of episode <laughs> in many ways. But it culminates, you know, in that, again, that ironic twist. And in this case, you know, she stuffs the husband up and... You know, she just oh. lives a perfectly happy life now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what's crazy about it is that it really kind of takes jabs at Americana a little bit, at American kitsch, you know? Definitely. Like, like, especially that, you know, view of, like, like early boomer culture, you know, where everything's just really tacky. There's, like, you know, plastic all over the yes. furniture everywhere. <laughs> It's, it's like this weird extension of people who, you know, grew up in the 50s and everything. Like you know, they were just kind of clinging to that weird Americana that, you know, just never really existed fully. But, uh, Robert, special effects, what do you think about that? I mean, that fucking dog. <laughs> oh, that was hilarious. An animatronic dog. Hey, it was a good lookalike of the dog and of Jonas, too, you know. Yeah, it was, honestly. Oh, no. And, I mean, I think that, yeah, it's it's a dumb episode, but it's it's fun, I think. Yeah, and, and I like the dark and serious undertones, but, you know, portrayed to comedic effect. Yeah. I, 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 I appreciate that a lot. I mean, I, th I think this episode is, it's a four out of five for me. It's at least a four for me. I've seen it a lot. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's not the best episode, but I mean, it's definitely a, a funny episode. It's hilarious. It's for hilarious. for so, season one, right? It'll what, what, would you, what would you give it, Robert? I'd give it a five out of... I'll just give it a five. You're going to give it a five, really? <laughs> You're going to give that a five? Just because I've seen it too many times. Oh, my Lord. But it is hilarious to close out uh, the first season. Yeah. yeah. And what did y'all think of the season overall? Oh, it was great. Um, I, I actually think the episodes we've watched of season two seem to actually get even better as a whole. But even so, um, this series has some really shining episodes. And I don't have a lot more to compare it with. But I, I definitely think, you know, a few of these are really, really quite memorable. And, and overall, the season never really skips a beat or um, loses pace or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Robert? What do you think? Uh, the whole series. The whole season. season. This season one. Season the, whole, one. the whole series. The season. <laughs> just, just, just season one. Um, yeah, it's a good season one, man. Just to start off the whole series, and you know, uh, you know, it doesn't get like it doesn't start trailing off until like after season six or season five, really. Yeah, so. but also just having six episodes makes it very compact and very easy to watch in like a single sitting. Yeah, you know. It's not difficult stuff to watch. It's not really difficult to find. You can find the DVDs rather easily. I'm not really sure if Tales from the Crypt is uh, streaming anywhere, but huh. you yeah. definitely get the DVDs for like on eBay it's, pretty cheap. It's not on HBO Max, is it? I don't know. It might be on the It might just be on HBO. Check, HBO check Max. Pluto TV on demand. You probably find it. I don't Pluto know. maybe Tubi. Yeah. Well, it's owned by HBO, but I think that there are some licensing issues with the series as a whole. 
Yeah, that's so, true. So they may not actually have any of it. So get the box sets at half price. I mean, books. you're searching it right now. I don't see it. Yeah, it's not on HBO Max. That but sucks. But anyway, we're going to go ahead and take a break. And then when we get back, we're going to do a quick review of Bordello of Blood, the second Tales from the Crypt movie. So stick around. We'll be right back in a little bit. From a secret grave in a distant land, Hell's Madam has risen again. And now she's back in business at the Bordello of Blood. Where customers go in. Evening, boys. This is deep. But they don't come out. Mr. Gutman, have you found my brother yet? He and a friend of his evidently went to a local brothel. Are you ready? Welcome to a new chapter in terror. Now she'll know what's eating him. She is. <laughs> Lucy, I'm home. Let's party. Hi, I'm Mexican for lunch. I'm gonna take you for a test ride. You know, you make it sound really enticing. From Universal Pictures. It's holy water, man. Dennis Miller. You are. Tales from the Crypt presents Bordello of Blood. Looking cool tonight, man. You must know Mickey Rourke, huh? Evil Bites. Go for it! And we are back. And we are going to go through a quick review of Tales from the Crypt Presents Bordello of Blood. Now, you might be asking why we're doing the second movie over the first one. Honestly, we just kind of felt like this was, uh, I don't know, maybe a little more within the director's cut uh, bailiwick, you know? I mean, I kind of feel like Demon Knight is totally a... um, collateral cinema episode you know what i mean yeah i could see that yeah totally ah now i was wondering like why are we doing bardillo blood before demon Knight? yeah it's because <laughs> that's just gonna have to go on the main podcast okay you know i'm good with that but yeah bordello of blood stars dennis miller it stars um angie everhart and it's Corey fucking and Feldman. Corey fucking Feldman, the Feldman, the bro. Feldman, the Feldman, the fucking Feldman, the bro. The Corys, dude. Yeah, you can't fuck with the Corys, right? You can. He he killed Jason. He killed dude. fucking Jason, dude. man. Dude. Like seriously. Tommy Jarvis, dude. Tommy fucking Jarvis in the best trilogy in the entire Friday the Thirteenth canon, might I add. But yeah, this movie is lots of fun, right, guys? I mean. I, I love Tales from the Crypt just in general. It's it's a fun series to watch. Some of it can actually be kind of taken seriously, but a lot of it, of course, is very campy, and this movie is no different. No, in fact, it feels very much just like an extended Tales from the Crypt episode. Yeah, it, and that's... Yeah, that's kind of what it's going for, of course, is Tales right. from the Crypt. It's just going for a regular episode, but maybe a little bit more cinematic in its approach. Maybe a little bit. 
honestly. I think that it's actually a lot more laid back than Demon Knights is. Demon Knights, it had a lot of humor and a lot of great energy to it. And of course, Billy fucking Zane, right, Robert? Billy Zane, man. Yeah, what do you think about that, man? What do you think about his performance in Demon Knight? I think it was hilarious. It when was, he, when, right? he had, when he had those demons, when he was spawning those demons, yeah. Yeah, he uh, sliced his hand open and everything. Yeah. <laughs> but this movie actually has a prop from Demon Knights in it, right? And and we see it at the beginning of the movie. It's the key. Yeah, it's the key. The key that had the Christ's blood in it. And uh, you know that Tales from the Crypt tattoo? Oh. It's, it's like on everybody. Yeah, like, you're right. It's in every film. It's in a few episodes, too. Like that that's kind of a little uh, Easter egg for yeah. Tales from the Crypt. If you look hard you'll see that. What what's the uh t- the tattoo by the way? What what does it look like? It's the Tales from the the Crypt uh skeleton, pretty much the reaper. Oh, the Crypt Keeper? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know what's interesting is uh the Crypt Keeper uh, John Caster's performance is really considered more of a cameo in this film. It kind of is, but I mean that's how it is with Tales from the Crypt period. I mean, he's always the uh, common, you know, link between every episode and and between these movies as well. And honestly, in the first movie, he had a much bigger role, you know, like he he was actually like the director of the movie that was at the the beginning of Demon Knight. But in this, he's having a uh, lunch business uh, get together or meeting or whatever with this uh, mummy dude. I forget who uh, plays the mummy in this movie, but I'm pretty sure he's a Tales from the Crypt staple. But I think that it's actually one of the funnier moments in this movie. William Sp- Sadler. It's William Sadler? That's William fucking Sadler? Yeah, it's William Sadler. Homeboy from uh, from the very first uh, Tales from the Crypt episode and the first Tales from the Crypt movie? Yep. Whoa. Okay, okay. Yeah, he, was, he was the lead in both, right? The pilot and the first movie. Yeah, exactly. And it's good to know that he came back. I mean, he's been in quite a few Tales from the Crypt episodes. In fact, I'm pretty sure that the guy who plays the mortician in this movie has been in a few episodes as well. So we've got some familiar Tales from the Crypt regulars coming back. And even the celebrity cameo. Oh, yeah. Whoopi Goldberg. Whoopi Goldberg pops up out of nowhere. Robert, did Whoopi Goldberg ever do a Tales from the Crypt episode that you're aware of? I mean, um, it, I I've seen a lot of this, and I don't think I've seen her. You know, that's interesting <clears throat> to me. You know, it, it interests me because I don't recall ever seeing an episode with her starring in it either. Yeah, I know Ted Danson did a uh, Tales from the Crypt episode, didn't he? Yeah, like a long time ago. No, uh, Bert Bert Young. Bert guy, Young, the guy from Rocky. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And, uh, not sure if uh. What's his name? Joe Pesci was in one of them too, right? That was yeah, amazing. I think there was. Yeah, Joe Pesci was in one. That episode with the twins, right? I yeah. mean, I've seen Tom Hanks. I've seen a lot of major actors in some of these. Yeah, Tom Hanks was in uh, a uh, episode, right? Yeah. You know, the movie is a little bit more exploitative than the episodes I've seen, but I, I am. I only have seen kind of the earlier episodes, so it's even more exploitative than Demon Knight, really. Yeah. I mean, Demon Knight was actually a little more concerned with telling a decent like supernatural siege movie that's really what it is it's a siege movie like billy zane he he's sealed out of the movie so he lays siege with all of his demons and everything this right here is more of a straightforward campy vampire movie 
Fuck yeah. And it's it's kind of interesting to me that they went with vampires here. You know, I mean, I don't really think that there was a whole lot of vampire episodes in the original run of the series, unless I'm yeah. mistaken. There was, was a few vampire in a there were, was werewolf episodes. Oh, okay, okay. Um, I don't know, but I mean, this one actually really catches the whole, you know, campy B movie vampire vibe perfectly. Like Angie Everhart, she plays Lilith. She's kind of perfectly cast here, even though I will go so far as to say that. This would have been perfect for Julie Strain. May she rest in peace. Julie Strain would have been just on point in this movie if she would have been Lilith. But I don't know. Uh, Angie Everhart's hot as fuck. I, I think you asked earlier, you know, you were like, so Lady D or... Yeah, Lady Dimitrescu or Lilith. And, or Lilith. and honestly, I want our listeners to answer this for us. Like, who do you think would be better? Lady Dimitrescu or uh, Lilith here from it's this movie? It's Death by Snoo-Snoo either way. It's so. Death by Snoo-Snoo, yeah. I mean, Angie Everhart, I mean, she's kind of presented as larger than life in this movie a little bit. Yeah. Robert, whatever, what other movies did Angie Everhart do? do you, are you aware of any of her other roles? Not really. Not really? No. So we really just know her from this and the fact that she was Sylvester Stallone's uh, main squeeze at the time, right? There you go. Yeah. I mean, yeah, she was dating Sylvester Stallone, of all people, at the time. I mean, I can kind of get it. You the know? Rocky, bro. The Rocky. The Rocky. I mean, she's a very beautiful woman. But her acting is just so B-movie gaudy. Yeah. Oh, man. It's like there's that one moment, you know, and this is, you know, not safe for work here, where she changes it to a cheerleader. And she's like, two, four, six, eight. You, you can, can watch, watch me masturbate. masturbate. Yes. Oh, man. Hell yeah. Was, Oh, it's such a cheesy line, but it's so fucking perfect. <laughs> kind of like that same moment when John Leguizano did Spawn, right? Did Spawn, <laughs> he yeah. He turned into the cheerleader. <laughs> yeah, Spawn, Spawn, he's on, man. Yeah, that Dude, whole thing. That's fucking funny. Yeah. But also, Dennis Miller is pretty much like on fire throughout this entire role. This is his last great role. His last truly funny role. He he does really steal the screen. Um, every scene that he's in, he really does. And also his dialogue. I mean, it's pretty much just bits from his comedy. It feels like. Well, it's all very quippy. It's almost like watching Spider Man. You know, it's just these these kind of like witty one liners, one after another. It's great. I love it. Yeah. But the problem there is, is that it became very apparent that Dennis Miller was one note at one point in his career, like especially when he jumped the shark and started appearing on Fox News with Bill O'Reilly, of all people. Yeah, his comedy kind of got played out. I mean, back in the 90s, he used to have a show not unlike Real Time with Bill Maher. Uh, it, it was Dennis Miller Live. And I mean, his politics was... It didn't seem that conservative back then, but, I mean, he routinely was known for criticizing the Clinton administration, like, multiple times. But here, he just plays this really, really just snarky, just in-the-know type of character. He's a, he's a private investigator. He's hired by this uh, lady who works for a mega church, which, by the way, we're going to get into here in a second to find her brother, played by Corey Feldman. There he is right there, the motherfucking <laughs> Feldman. Look at look at him. Magnificent. Also, I heard that this movie was kind of 
predates the concept of megachurches. So in many ways, it sort of predicted that it eerily. <laughs> I mean, back in those days, there were such things as, you know, televangelists and everything. And there were kind of big churches, but... The churches that we have now, the mega church with the prosperity gospel and your Joel Olsteins and whatnot, I mean, that was like just kind of the end result of of the televangelist shit. And this right here, this is the first indication of that. I mean, the building oh, that... There's that tattoo. Oh, there's the tattoo. Okay, so, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Crypt Keeper. There you go. Okay, so th- th- that's cool. You'll see that. We got the movie shit. running in the background. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. We have the movie running in the background as always. Yep. Um, but yeah, the megachurch is this big, gaudy monstrosity with a ginormous cross on the on the stage, and they have like, and and, and the goddamn pastor is this douchebag who fucking and he comes out and he plays the guitar and everything. It's like yeah, he has it, a Stratocaster and all that shit. It's straight up like go, uh, going to a megachurch in my childhood. It, it really is no different. So it, it's kind of funny if this is before we really had that, then. I mean, this movie is actually kind of scarily accurate. <laughs> scarily. I mean, it also really kind of talked about, you know, the underlying issues of churches like this, you know? I mean, there is a little bit of a commentary about these types of ministries and whatnot in this movie. I mean, not like you should take this movie as, like, you know, anything that's really deeply satirical. I mean, in many ways, you could take it at face value. It's just a silly vampire movie with lots of boobs and blood and guts, you know? But Titties. Yeah. It does at least have something smart to say about what was coming with with megachurches and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that that that, that just kind of pokes its head here. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, it's just funny looking back and... Yeah, I mean, this was from the 90s, and, you know, you kind of had churches like that back then, but not at the scale that we have now. I mean, this this is, this is shit that we have now is just, you know, out of control in many ways. <laughs> yeah. But it turns out that the whole church is a front for a vampire brothel, which is... Like, and this is the best part. It's uh, it's housed at a fucking mortuary, which I think is just priceless. And every time you go into that brothel, it's just, oh, man, boobs everywhere and all that sort of thing. You know I mean? If you're into, you know, gaudy 90s sexuality in movies, this has that in droves. I mean, it, it, not in the same way as, like, the Skinamax movies, but, I mean, it's even a little more gratuitous compared to other Tales from the Crypt media. Yeah. I mean, honestly. Yeah. But, Robert, what did you think about all of the special effects in this movie? Th- this is actually a little gorier than uh, Demon-, Demon Knights, right? Yeah, I think it was a lot like uh, Quinn Tarantino's From Dust Till Dawn. Like, that, that's it, Robert, it was a lot like From Dust Till well, Dawn. I kept thinking about that. First of all, that's Robert that. Rodriguez. Oh, Rodriguez. Yeah, Robert Rodriguez. Quinn Tarantino was in there, though. Yeah, he Sorry. was. Get them yeah, confused. It, they do a lot of the same work. <laughs> it does actually kind of evoke that a little bit, right? It yeah. evokes from dusk till dawn. Kind felt of felt a lot like that. Like the nineties was doing that a lot, especially yeah. with James Woods' vampire too. You know? Yeah. Well, that was back when we were able to really portray vampires as just these nasty monstrosities that just needed to be eradicated. <sighs> like Angel, right? Didn't you like watching that? Uh, yeah, Angel uh, kind of had the same thing, and Buffy the Vampire yeah, Buffy, Slayer, dude. I mean, it was always about killing vampires, vampires, but then, you know, we had to go and romanticize them. Yep. 
which I'm sure we're going to get into Twilight eventually on the podcast, right, Ash? Because oh, it, 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 it's actually, I have a list. I have a list of uh, collateral cinema movie ideas, and yet some, somehow I still end up bringing new ideas into each season. But, um, yeah, Twilight is on there, and I, I don't actually have it as a bad movie review. I, I actually think it's it's an okay movie. Like, I don't have any major issues with it. I think it's just kind of a poorly written movie and it's just got some conventions to it that just didn't age well. I don't know. I read the book, so I, I but the book wasn't very well written either. So <laughs> Yeah, Stephanie Meyer, I don't know what the fuck she was doing. But anyway, yeah, this movie just continued that nineties tradition of just fucking vampire shit up. Like constantly. Like Robert in these uh brothel scenes like especially near the end we have like the super soaker with the uh with the holy water that was a thing in a few movies yeah. especially from dusk till dawn definitely from dusk till dawn yeah and they they just go in there and they just wreck shop man and there there's like vamp vampiruses just being thrown at the wall and they just blow up it's everything. a lot like that scene in from dusk till dawn you know, it, it really is. Where they, get, <laughs> they get ready with all the ammo and then the water balloons with holy water. I almost want to say that other than Demon Knight, that would be a good companion piece to this movie is from Dusk Till Dawn. Yeah. Even though that's a little longer movie and I would say a, a, and also obviously a far better movie. There's you know? three from Dusk Till Dawn's, right? There's like Texas Blood And Money. there was a series, too. Yeah. There was a TV series. I remember watching that. Yeah. And... Mm. I mean, with with Bordello of Blood, I mean, it really just shows, you know, everything that was really just funny and campy about Tales from the Crypt. I mean, I guess we can go ahead and start getting into our final thoughts and our final rating on this. Robert, how would you rate this movie and what are your final thoughts on it? Five out of five because <laughs> oh it's, a, it's a good movie and it's one of my childhood movies and I think I... I think I showed you I still had the VHS copy of it, right? Yeah. I think that this was a good movie going back as far as nostalgia is concerned because, you know, Childhood. this is... Wait, titties, titties. Oh, yeah, here we go. Fuck yeah. And that's kind of what I was going to get at, you know? It's like this was, for many of us, another first when it came to seeing, like, on-screen blood and gore Damn. and Fuck nudity that. and everything, <laughs> you know? So... I mean, I that's why I have this movie, and that's why I'll put it on every now and again because it's just... It, it's a fun watch and it's a quick watch, you know. It's a good one. Yeah. So you're gonna give it a five out of five, really? Give it a five point five out of five. Wow. Okay. I give it a five. No, I give it a ten out of five. Oh my god. Ash, how about you? What, what are your thoughts and what's your rating? Uh, Bordello Blood is a lot of fun. It re definitely delivers on that traditional Tales from the Crypt formula, or at least so far as I can tell from the you know first couple seasons, but uh. I, I do like the uh, exploitative nature of the film, exploitative nature of the film, I should say. Uh, I love the just no bars held, whatever the fuck that phrase is. <laughs> no holds barred. No holds no, barred. No holds barred. Yeah, there no you go. Bar. Yeah, there you go. I don't know. I'm high and I've had what? a couple beers. <laughs> that's that's the natural state of everybody on this podcast. Come on now. This is true, actually. Yeah. But, but what's your rating? Um, for me. I'm going to say a 4.125. 4.125? Are you really going to get that exact with this shit? No, sorry. 4.25. There you go. 4.25? Okay. 4.25. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. 
I'm going to give this movie a just a straight four. I mean, it's nothing that you're really going to want to like get that into. I mean, Demon Knight is obviously the superior movie and yeah. has way better performances and has a way way tighter script, way better characters, yeah. but this right here it's good for what it is. It's it's a good Dennis Miller vehicle. Like it's kind of nostalgic watching him in his prime back then. I mean, it's nostalgic on the same level that, you know, if you were a kid and you were just looking for like to watch the stuff that you weren't allowed to watch. This was one of those movies and one of those series that you kind of jumped into and everything. And I mean, damn it. I do like Angie Everhart in her role. I mean, she's not a great actress at all, but she adds something to Lilith there. And of course the fucking Feldman, the motherfucking Feldman. I mean, what can be said about him? You can hear the Donatello in his voice throughout this entire fucking movie. Stand by me. Yep. <laughs> yeah, stand by me all the way. Damn it. But, yeah, it, it's also a short movie. It's got a pretty well-paced script, and it's not really the worst thing in the world that you could watch. It's at least a good thing to put on, like, every now and again if you just want to drink some beer or something, or or if you just want to watch it alongside Demon Knight as, like, a companion piece. Or, like, we suggested alongside From Dust from Dusk Till Dawn, which is, like, perfect. Mm. But, yeah, that's my thoughts on that. Four out of five. I mean, it's at least worth a watch. It's worth, I mean, it's not going to be for everybody. There's going to be people who are just going to be, like, meh here, but... Honestly, for those of us who have some nostalgia for it, it's 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 a definitely a go. But let's go ahead and start getting everything wrapped up here. Um, Ash, what's going on with Collateral Gaming? You have a season finale coming up, right? Yes, sir. Uh, any day now, we're going to be go recording our uh, two-part episode on Beyond Two Souls and Heavy Rain. That will finish out the season of Collateral Gaming, and we're starting again in October, along with Collateral Cinema. So if you're not listening to the video game podcast, you can check that out wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, and we both have Patreons, of course. Yes, exactly. You can find us at patreon.com slash Podcast. I believe that's what it is. And we have full-length feature commentaries there, and we are going to work on getting some other different types of content on there. Maybe maybe we'll do like a Q&A or something like that here pretty soon. Uh, maybe we might uh, be doing an interview here pretty soon. We're not going to really go into any details with whom, but, I mean, that might be in the pipeline for us. That's probably going to be on the main channel, though, not on the Patreon. But, yeah, check us out on Patreon. We'll have $1 and $5 tiers for, us, for you. So, yeah, please give us money, people. We'd really like to start bringing some income here. Give us your money. Give us your money. Now. And uh, Robert, do you have anything on the filmmaking side of things that you want to hide? No, we're good. Nope. No, you're good? God damn it, Robert. We're not going to mention uh, some additional filming soon for Texas yeah, Sundown? Yeah, maybe within a week or two. Excellent. Because uh, Ash and I got the same days off now, so we can work around that. Excellent. Film, filming schedules, right? Yep. Yeah, there we go. Get we some go. content out, right? And hopefully you'll be able to find the podcast, Collateral Cinema, on IMDb. I submitted an application to them not too long ago, so hopefully that will come through if it hasn't already. So that's yeah. something to look for. Uh, you can find us on 
Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You could listen to us on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and wherever else you get your podcasts, you know, your Stitchers, your Mixers, and all that sort of thing. Maybe even Audible. I don't know. Um, And also, look for us on Good Pods. We are on Good Pods right now. I'm still trying to figure out how to actually market ourselves there. But, yeah, check us out. Follow us there. Listen to us there. Hopefully, we can get on the leaderboard or something. I don't know. So many thanks to everybody for listening to this episode. Do y'all have anything else to add? Uh, stay tuned for Collateral Cinema Season 5. We're going to be talking necromantic. Necromantic, hell yeah. And then followed by that, we're going to do Scream. I believe we're going to be joined by Stu from the Stu World Order podcast. Or, or Stu World Order website, as it were. Yeah. That'll, that'll be interesting. And we'll be doing Halloween Kills. And that's all going to be in October, so... Yeah, be on the lookout for that. Season 5 is going to be pretty interesting. And we hope to have you join us soon for that. Fuck yeah. And also, aren't we supposed to possibly be doing another live stream with Victims and Villains soon? I think so, yeah. Oh Yeah, right on. We'll have more info on that here very soon. But right now, we'll go ahead and close this episode up. I'm Bo Maddox. I'm Robert Ortegon. And I'm Ashley Chancellor. This was Collateral Cinema Director's Cut. And thank you for listening to our Tales from the Crypt episode. Cinema is a collateral media podcast. All music and movie clips are owned by the respective creators and are used for educational purposes only. Please don't sue us. We're poor.